let us pray. Father, thank you for being the, the, the giver of life and the giver of all good things. And all the, the, the best things that you give us, you give us people. People such as Sister Norm to make the life of others better and to enhance it. We thank you for our life. We thank you for this opportunity to be together to celebrate all the good things and all the ministries that she's involved in. Uh, give us a, a time of fellowship and a time of uh, recognition. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Reverend. That and, and our president. So, I, you know, it's a great honor, and there are a number of dear friends that are here. Um, but I just had the, the greatest day, sort of having, you know, eight years of eight years of St. Joseph's Grammar School with the Servites, and then four years with the Sacred Heart Brothers, and then actually being almost with the Catholics. I think they're called Jesuits, um, <laughs> canonically. But um, in a special way, I had the chance to be with Sister, and we were at the Bull Mass today, and um, this is going to get Joe Hayden upset, but I had the chance to have lunch with Cardinal, um, and um, I, it was just a great treat. And the sister came to our our site in Newark at um, 936 Bergen Street to see our reentry program, and then here today. But Sister Norma and Erin is here. Um, with Erin Palladino? Erin's in the back, and Erin has actually been down to Sister Norma to Rio Grande um, Catholic Charities a number of times. What you see there is nothing less than transformation of people coming crossing the river, people having nothing, and sister being able to wash them, to feed them, to clothe them, and to give them rest. I mean, truly filling the mission of Isaiah and providing social justice in real and demonstrative ways. And so I'm just very grateful to our dear friend, Wendy New, and her brother, Peter. I think Peter is here somewhere. Uh, Peter, thank you so much on behalf of the New family. Uh, they own a, a small piece of land called Corny Point. Um, and I just, uh, just want to say thank you for the generosity supporting us today. But the person who provides great leadership um, for many of us, and for the state of New Jersey, uh, is somebody who hails from out west. Uh, he's a redemptorist. He's a man of great vision. And he's someone who I believe has understood the mission of the gospel in profound ways for the Archdiocese of Newark. And here to introduce uh, Sister Norma is the Archbishop of the Archdiocese of Newark, uh, His Eminence Joseph Arden Pope. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for being here. Uh, Sister Norma is uh, exceptional, just as Jim told what I find is so exceptional about her work is that it truly is not about her. Some of us are 
maybe Mother Jones always boy and forget that sometimes. It's really not about you. It's about people you call and serve. And uh, Sister Norma has the, the, the crucial ability to see people as they are. To see people that are not statistics. They have faces. The rhetoric that we hear in this country often in the policies are aimed principally at taking away someone's face. So they become something else. And when they're something else, you can do really heinous things to them and not feel badly about it. Norma sees me. She reminds me of a priest that had a lot of influence on me when I began in the Archdiocese of Detroit years ago. I asked him, I said, his name was Monsignor Clem Kern. He's involved in labor and justice, a great pastor. I said, how do you do what you do? And he said, at first I did it because I thought it was my duty. Then I found out I liked it. Then I discovered I was one of them. Norma's made that leap. And so I'm so pleased that she blesses North Jersey with her presence. God bless you, Norma. So we're just gonna we're just gonna have a, a little conversation, and um, I'm gonna get to the microphone. Uh, yeah, exactly. And so, um, and and Aaron and a number of individuals know this, but sister, could you share with us how many people come through the center on a daily basis? When, when uh, my daughter Jacqueline and I were there, there was about 800 people, but can you just tell us like who's coming through? And... Of course, of course. Well, I need to go back a little bit to help you understand what happened and how we got started. And could I ask Bully Moore to turn up the microphone if we can? Yes. Thank you. And a half an hour 
and I conquered Tom, and I was a Franciscan. And he, uh, I said, Mother oh, Tom, can I go to the parish hall for a couple of days? And so, really, those couple of days turned into a couple of years. I remained in that parish hall for three years. I had no clue what I was going to see. I just knew it was people, families, children, and distress. And it turned out to that. Was that group in the next day? Another group that we were talking about was another one, and another one, and another one, and, and we were just taking them all in and receiving and having people just come out and help and just say, um, Can you call your friends? Have them call their friends. We need peppers, we need milk, we need bottles. And before you know it, the whole community, everybody was part of this. So, to answer your question, we have. Um, very few people, 50 people at one time, to we have up to a thousand, like hundred people just two months ago. Yeah. In one day, it dropped off, and then they say, no, I have a thousand, another thousand, and it dropped off again. It depends a lot with what Border Patrol, Border Patrol at the border is really doing their job. They enforce the border and make sure that they know who's entering the country and they process them and determine what to do with these families, with these people who are trying. And for the most part, everybody, the border right now is closed. That means that 100% of the people are sent back to Mexico, deported back to their country, or some, they do something with it. Right? Only one group of people are allowed to remain in the United States right now. And that's because Mexico, has a policy that went into effect January 1st in the state of Tamaulipas that stated we cannot take back anyone under the age of six. Which means if a family attempts to enter the United States, they're not sent back like anybody else. They're allowed to remain in the United States. If they're not criminals, if they're clear, then they're brought to us, to our center. And look, lately, we, when the governor was there, we were seeing close to 1,000, 1,200 immigrants at our center daily. Right now, the numbers that we're seeing is maybe between 200, 300 of them daily that they come. People that steal the borders close, but these families with these children who are coming from so far away finding themselves entering the country because they're desperately needing safety and because there's so much um, gangs and organized crime that just go at them to hurt them, to take money away from them, to take their kids away from them. And so they're finding desperately to find a space where they're safe, especially their children. So Border Patrol will bring them to us. And this is who you saw when you were with us. Thank you, sister. So, what's so powerful is that sister provides all the care for these young families and the children. Sister, um, so could you describe what happens if the family's leaving El Salvador or Honduras and who guides them through in terms of their cartels and how this happens and what is the risk along the way and what happens to, to so many families along the way as they're for lack of a better word, continue to be extorted by cartel members. 
So families leave their country, their hometown, and their, their name becomes there where they live. It's impossible to stay there. It's not safe. The children can go to school. If they go to school, they may get picked up by the cartel or the gas and disappear them. The dad cannot work because if he does work, they'll come and take his money away from them. And so they just don't find a way to exist in their country. And so therefore they decide to risk their lives and decide to spend this immigrant's money that they will have to pay a great amount of money which they don't have. A lot of times they have to sell their properties and then borrow all that money that they need to pay that trafficker to bring them to the United States. With no guarantee they'll make it to the United States. They can pay up to 5,000, 10,000, whatever they ask you. And if they're dropped off somewhere else along the way, they need to pay up again if somebody picks them up again. So that's, this is what happened to them. So many of them have to travel walking, possibly maybe in a semi inside for 30 hours maybe. And possibly many of them are not able to breathe, and many of them die instead of those semis. So the, the, the stories that we hear are, are very difficult for honest people that risk their lives and dare come and with the hopes that maybe they might get to the United States safely. But they, they honestly, they very many, just recently, and I was, you know, I was sharing that with the governor. A dad came to our site. He was released from the hospital. The Border Patrol took him there. This is a father with a 13-year-old girl who was coming into the United States. Right before he crossed the river, again, wanted to take the daughter. And the father said, you will not touch my daughter. I will not let you. So they practically broke every single bone in the body of that father. They beat him up so badly and left him for dead. Thank God, a group of people, good Samaritans, picked him up, took the little girl, and crossed it into the United States, and the border patrol took him to the hospital. We received him after he had been in the hospital for a long time. These are the kind of stories that we see daily of parents, mothers, and fathers risking their lives to, with a hope. Not they have a good life, but rather that they have a life because they don't have a life right now. Thank you. So, Sister Mutis, Sister. We just talked about things that were so powerful to me was parents deciding which child to bring. Do I bring my daughter uh, to protect her from sexual abuse? Do I bring my son to protect him from being kidnapped by the cartels? Um, can you just talk about the agony that obviously when you're moving across huge swaths of, of space and time, how difficult that decision? Yes. Uh you were there, you heard my mother say that it was not an easy decision to decide out of all my children, who should I save? Who is most in danger? Is it my oldest kid that's already years old? Because at the age of eight, 
which can fix the name, they start to recruit them and take to Canada so they can form part of the gangs. Oh, we have a little girl that will be raped when she comes out of school and she's not safe in the city anymore. Who should I take with me? And it's not an easy choice for a parent. Sometimes the parents don't have enough money to even go themselves. So they they send their daughter or their son with somebody else. And that's what we know as unhealthy children. Because they actually hate somebody, but the US government classifies them as unaccompanied because they come with mom and dad. So therefore they're separated from whoever it is they came. Maybe they came with their grandmother. And one time I thought they had this grandma who arrived very late to our center. And she was crying desperately. She says, My little girl. They took my little girl. And she must be crying. And she was the daughter of her, of her daughter. And she was in New York. And she was bringing her daughter to her mother. And the little girl only knew the grandma as the mom. And so she's uncertain that like, she must be devastated and crying. But they won't let me have her. Can you please take me to her? And I said, I'm sorry, they won't give you the daughter. They can't give you the daughter. That's how it is. And so this is what happens to these children that sometimes end up by themselves because the parents cannot be with them. They cannot pay for two people. So they'll pay enough for this, that one child that they can send. Sister, you know, coordination of immigrants. Everybody here came from someplace. Um, could you just talk about, I mean, today, when you were in North, talked about the sense of community and caring. Can you, can you just talk about your sense of where America is in terms of the immigrants? And the other point that I just saw is how far these immigrants want to work. I mean, the sense of industriousness, the sense of commitment. Um, and you just reflect upon where do you think we are as a people in our viewpoint and attitude towards immigrants. And the story you shared with me about the one woman who said, Sister, I guess everything you are, what you're doing, and how you changed their heart. The, the woman who said, you know, when she came in, she said, I disagree with everything you did. Yes, I remember one time there was this lady who I needed to buy a Sulak's machine from, and I asked her to come to the ship to, uh, to where we were at the refugee center. And uh, she said, I just want to get you my sister. I'm 100% against what you're doing here, helping these illegal aliens. They shouldn't be here. And I said, thank you for letting me know. Let me tell you why I do and why. And so I had her walk with me and introduce her to the families, to the mothers and the children. And when we get back to the office, and she turns around and she looks at me and she says, Sister, you know, I'm 100% in favor of her. 100%. And she says, You definitely are one of the best business salesperson that I ever met. You convinced me 100%. What are you doing? You're wasting your talent. You're going to be leaving somewhere else. And I said, Well, this is where God has me. To make sure I convince you, you know, and others like you to understand what we must do. That evening, I got a call from her husband, and she said, 
Sister, I am the husband of the lady, and I to see you today. At, and I don't know what you did to my wife. When she arrived home, she said, if sister ever calls you, you make sure you do whatever she asks you. <laughs> so, even as the God wants you to share my experience about what I see in the many families that I receive, and there are thousands of them. I think she was saying, since 2014, since that first day that I went to the bus station, we've gone over 250,000 immigrants that passed through our doors and continue to come every day. Some days the numbers drop to almost single digits, others they come up to way over a thousand. But we never turn anybody away. Border Patrol calls me day or night, day and myself, from all over South Texas, as far as Orpus, San Antonio, Balfourias, Roma, Daily Texas, they come and they say, Sister, I have a family, I have sort of they say, I have a subject, or I have a body. And can I take this person to you? Yes, you may. And they bring them over. What I have seen is many thousands of people that have come to our doors, as many women that are so eager to work to take care of their families, to take care of their children. There are many women that don't hold back from working, from giving out to, to make sure they can succeed, they can make sure that their children have a life that can be able to be safe. I think that they bring great richness to us. Family, family films, you know, how they protect, how they one, make sure that their children are safe. They bring great faith. They can be stripped of everything. Because literally they take everything from them. But the one thing they cannot take from them is their faith. And they show it the moment they walk through the doors of our respite center. They see an image, maybe of Jesus or our lady. They'll drop to their knees, crying. Thanking God. Thanking God for His mercy and for His care. Because they are in a place where they feel safe. It's beautiful. Sometimes there's no room at their center. My company, we have a home. And I say, well, let's bring some to my house. And we bring some of them. And I see that we have a little chapel right in the home. When it's dark, they're going to lay down to sleep. They walk into that. They see that I have a chapel right there. They walk quietly into the chapel. And you just see the man crying before God, thanking God, asking God for the children, for the families. It's the most beautiful experience that I've seen of how their faith is so alive. And so present, and it's something that we all here in the United States can definitely enrich our communities with that kind of life that they give to us. Um, so, could you share, with Sister, how I see my different girls are there? How can we help? Um, and I'm glad you talked about the importance of faith and sustenance. But how can we help as a faith community here 
um, the Garden State, some refer this as the New Jerusalem. Um, but how can we help the Garden State support the mission? There's so many ways to, to, to help. I just want to begin by saying that back in 2014, when I when I went to the bus station and I started to see that response that we were doing, I asked the local uh, federal judge if I could have permission to go to the detention center where the children that were unaccompanied were being kept because there was no other place to put them. And I said, I want to go there. And you can get me inside. Back then, nobody had ever asked to go into a detention facility, much less that processing facility for the children. Then I want to make sure that they were being kept there because they were waiting for a better, more up-to-code place to put them. I walked into that facility with happy children. Little ones, five years old, not more than 10. They were all dirty, muddy, short gray in the faces, all their bodies were they looked the same. They were in cells all around as we were standing with the officers. Big windows on you can see right here. And all the little faces, little windows, looking at us with the little faces full of tears. And I asked, can I go inside with them? And the officer said, no. So no man, you can't go there. And I said, I want to go pray. And how can they say no to a man who wants to pray, right? So they said, okay, then you can go in. So I did. You know, it was the most difficult thing that I had ever done in my life. Because I could barely walk into the cell, into going to the center where all the children were. And they were all looking up to me. The little faces full of tears, crying. And I couldn't even bring the crying with them. We're all crying. And I was saying, Santa Mary, get me out of here, please. I can still see their faces. I said, Mom's on his side. Let us pray. So I said, Just see the way you love us. And so they repeated after me. God, this helps. You know, I will never forget those, that precise moment. It is precisely that that has me anchored to the reality of the fact that it's wrong to abandon a child, to allow for us to not be present, to find something better than why a family, why a child needs to suffer like that. So there is so much that we can do. When I walked out of here, I knew I had a big job to do. Convincing everybody that they're people, they're children, they're little ones. That we must defend them, speak to them, 
Let others know that this is not about politics. This is about humanity, suffering. And we cannot speak up and convince our congressmen, our leaders, all everyone who doesn't see this to recognize that we can give of ourselves, whether it's our time, volunteering, present, whether it's our money to schedule support efforts that are being done to do this along the border or even here in your communities, everywhere, whether it's embracing and bringing them to your community and welcoming them, integrating them, and making them part of who we are. There is so much we can do, but most definitely standing still and just listening and not doing nothing is not an option. We must all be accountable to the only one who calls us to move forward, and that is God. It is to Him that we must answer whether we did something or not. Um, so now, Sister, I just wanted to present um, Reverend Flores. I just, we had a, you know, everybody has a boss in life. My boss is, I said to Sister, 25% of the Jersey man who happens to be from Volta, the Dominican Republic. I don't know how that happens. Um, but I'm really proud of the fact that we're fundraising today and we passed our goal of $50,000 for Sister Norma Hermano Norma, no existe en el diccionario de ninguna lengua un calificativo que yo pudiese utilizar para, para expresar lo agradecido por la visión de vida que usted tiene, por su entrega, por su vocación y por eliminar tantas barreras que sufren nuestros hermanos y hermanas que pasan la frontera. El gobernador Madrid, recuerdo en el viaje, me mandó a Washington, yo estaba en Washington, y me llamaba y me, mandó, me puso un tour en Washington, a lo que él estaba limpiando piso, sirviendo comida con Jack en ese lugar. Y realmente los dos gritamos, llegamos a través de la cámara. Pero lo que usted hace es de Dios. Quiero decirle que mi respeto absoluto y usted es una santa. Dios lo bendiga mucho. And, oh, thanks. And Jack, could you just say for the concluding word? Jack is a, is a big shot. Um, and he is the, the Cardinals on his board, and, and he oversees the faith leaders of all spectrum, all across the state of New Jersey. And I'm really honored that he's with us here today. Thank you, Governor. I was asked to do a blessing, but I did already the traditional blessing, sister, by you. We've been opportunity not on secure computers, so I hope you give us a tough smile and good work. This is what we got. Thank you for living with us on this day. For the very gift of life, and the gift of your creation. For the gift of your love that's so wonderful. And sister, 
to pray special ones on part of the work. Enable us, O God, to see and join in that work and be advocates for peace and justice in the broken world. Let us be a reflection of your love. Again, O God, we give you thanks for the many Christmas of this day. I pray a special blessing upon you, Jim, my sister and brother. Bless us now as we travel our separate ways for we offer up this prayer in Christ in his precious Amen. And, and there are a lot of people here, and I apologize if there's a number of 13. And see, anyone wanted to speak on the matrix, you can only have to say, we can speak on the matrix. Yeah, like, well, all of them are in the numbers. Um, but yeah, we, again, uh, there's a number of 30 here, and it's like officials. Uh, Father Spear, and probably call them back. At least that three categories. But I know you had us here to start. So it's just all with our guys today, and, and it was just a long test. But I just want to say thank you to everyone who's here, uh, particularly the way I was late to the Cardinals, all the 30s, or all Jack and Nicole, all our friends for being here and for supporting, and to the new family for hosting us today. Um, this place from a um, busy cafeteria to a uh, white table cloth. Oh, yeah. oh, thank you. <laughs> All right, you made a lot of politicians. I mentioned it a few times. Peter, if you please tell Ronnie that I had a reference on the But again, I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for supporting Sister for ministry. Catholic Charities and the Boards of Immigration. And you remember to thank you for being with us here today. And to each and every one of you, thank you for God's speech.